he was for me a constant point of reference. Okay. So there's there's probably nothing in theology that he has not written on. And so as issues would come up, I mean, I had read a couple of his works, but as issues would come up, I would go in research and say, okay, what did Joseph Ratzinger have to say about this? And it was all, it, it, he would always engage the entire spectrum of an argument. You're searching for the meaning of life. On what certainties should we build our lives and the life of the community to which we belong? I have come to know among you nothing but Christ and Him crucified. What matters is that I believe it, or rather know, not that I believe it, but that I believe it. We have hope. Someone who's alive today could be a saint tomorrow. That makes sense. That's why Jesus came on earth. In order to set them free with the truth of the gospel. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Upfront with the Archbishop. My name is Jenny Conley, your host. The goal of Upfront is to bridge the gap between the hierarchy and the faithful by discussing the truth, beauty, and challenges of our Catholic faith. As per usual, I am joined by Archbishop Richard Smith for every episode. And today, it's a bonus episode because on December 31st of this past year, 2022, Pope Benedict the 16th passed away. And we would like to honor his legacy, everything that he offered to the church, his legacy as our Pope for eight years. Through this episode and a discussion with Archbishop Smith about his own encounters with Joseph Ratzinger, Pope Benedict the 16th was Pope from April 19th, 2005, until his resignation on February 28th in 2013. And again, he passed away on December 31st, 2022. He was born Joseph Ratzinger, and he has been a giant of theological contribution to the church throughout his years as priest, bishop, cardinal, and pope. Well, Your Grace, this is this is an interesting episode because we're commemorating a pope that just passed away, um, Pope Benedict mm-hmm. XVI, mm-hmm. Pope Emeritus Wonderful XVI. Yeah, and we're here just to speak about his legacy and some of your, even your own stories with this pope. Sure, um, sure. It's my understanding that you, uh, you actually were alone in the room with Pope Benedict at one point in the Vatican, um, and you've met him on at least a couple occasions. Yeah, met him a few times. Yeah, those were... <laughs> Obviously, those were wonderful, wonderful events. You don't, you don't forget having a personal meeting with the Pope, and I've long admired, you know, Joseph Ratzinger and his work and 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 all of that. And then when he became Pope, I realized, oh, this is going to be a, a beautiful, beautiful gift to the Church, which of course it ended up being. Mm-hmm. And and yes, I did have uh, a meeting alone in a room with us. It was the first meeting I had with him actually after he became Pope. And this was in the course of the ad limita visit back in 2006 that the Canadian bishops were making to uh, to Rome. This is a visit that a bishop makes every five years or so, which is usually a bit longer right now, just to meet with the Pope, meet with his officials, report on the state of the diocese and so on. So I had been a bishop at that point four years, so this was my first ad limita visit. And at that point, Pope Benedict was still meeting individually with each bishop that was on the ad limita visit. After wow. a while, he couldn't sustain that, which we understood. And Pope Francis has not revived that practice. Mm-hmm. Uh, but this was still when uh, the, the Pope would meet for about 10 minutes, I believe it was, with each bishop just to talk about how things are in the diocese. And this was actually in September of that year, so the Pope was still on holiday time, if I can put it that way. It's a relative term for a Pope. <laughs> but he was out at Castle Gandolfo. 
Mm. So that's where we had our meeting. And so I was waiting outside the room about to meet Joseph Ratzinger. I thought, my heavens above, this is feeling more than a little intimidated. Then all of a sudden the door opens and there he is standing inside the room. So I walked in and he instantly, instantly put me at ease. Come on. And he said, come stand here and we'll, we'll do the photo stuff and then come on over here and sit down. And we just sat down and two chairs there and uh, nobody else was in the room. All the photographers and the officials left so that we can talk about the state of the diocese. At that point it was the Diocese of Pembroke. And I just remember a couple of things. I remember, I remember his attention. Now, God only knows really what was going on in his mind, a zillion things that had been coming across the plate, the, the desk of a, of a pope. And yet for those 10 minutes, it was as if I was the only one that he was aware of. And he was asking very sharp, very pointed questions, obviously attentive. Um, the goodness of the man, the, the kindliness of the man, the, the simplicity of the man really shone through in, the, in that encounter. And, and, and I, I love telling this story. I remember uh, he was obviously briefed um, before any, any bishop goes in. So yeah. in that beautiful German accent of his, he says, <laughs> So I understand that you have been a bishop for four years. <laughs> oh, y- yes, Holy Father, that's true. <laughs> that means, he said, that means that you are living the dynamics of the beginning. Uh-huh. Now, anybody else would have said, oh, so you're just getting started. <laughs> but this was Joseph Ratzinger, the dynamics of the beginning. But the in that phrase, in that phrase, yeah. I said, oh my, that captures everything that the bishop, getting used to his diocese, getting used to a bishop, would, that would encapsulate all of the different dynamics, as he put it. And then I went on and talked about uh, what was going on in the diocese at the time. And then I looked at him, I said, and those are the dynamics of my beginning. And he roared laughing. <laughs> He's got a wonderful, wonderful sense of humor. Uh, but when the time was up, the time was up. He hit the button, the doors flew open, and I was gone. <laughs> it, was, it, was, it was really terrific. It was a, a beautiful, beautiful thing. And you know, the... Um, the last meeting I had with him, it turns out that this was just a few months before he announced his resignation. And I was with other members of the executive of the uh, Conference of Bishops. So the president, vice president, and general secretary go over every year in the fall to talk about the state of the church in Canada, try to get a meeting with the Pope, meet with other f- officials and so on. And so we were obviously hoping to have a meeting with Pope Benedict. And it was proving difficult to arrange. His calendar was so packed. But we kept pushing and talking to folks. Finally, they said, okay, we can squeeze you in here. But when you see the Pope, it's just for a few minutes. Just for, they, they kept driving this point home, just for a few minutes. Mm-hmm. So finally, we were ushered into the Pope's office, sat down at that famous table across from him. And I started the conversation by saying, Holy Father, you know, thanks for seeing us. We understand that you've just... You have just a few minutes. We're going to keep this brief. And he stopped me then and there. He said, you've come all the way from Canada. I have more than a few minutes. Mm. And he gave us whatever time we needed. I found out later that he went from our meeting to something in the audience hall with 6,000 plus people. (laughs) And he just kind of put that on on hold for a few minutes because here we were all the way from Canada. And again, instantly attentive. But later that evening, 
I was at an event in the Sistine Chapel, and Pope Benedict came to that. And so we were already seated in the chapel. But as he came in, it took him ages to walk just a very, very short distance across to, to his seat. And I thought, oh my, his, uh, his physical limitations are really growing pronounced. Mm-hmm. Now, it never occurred to any of us that he'd be resigning, but a few months later, that's exactly what he did. Mm-hmm. But those were, I think there were a couple of other instances when I met him, but those were the sort of the, the things that bracketed my episcopacy in relationship with Pope Benedict were those uh, meetings at the beginning of my um, episcopacy and towards the end of his papacy. Mm-hmm. And uh, those were great, great blessings for me. You mentioned that as you were meeting him for the first time, that you were very much already, or at least you implied you were very much already aware of Joseph Ratzinger as the cardinal, as a theologian. And I know that was the case for a lot of people. He already had an immense, he was well known to say that he was renowned globally as a theologian before he ever became Pope. Did, did he, did his theology, his work as a theologian have a big impact on you as a priest? I would say, oh, certainly. And I would say he was for me a constant point of reference. Okay. So there's there's probably nothing in theology that he has not written on. And so as issues would come up, I mean, I had read a couple of his works, but as issues would come up, I would go in research and say, okay, what did Joseph Ratzinger have to say about this? And it was all, it, it, he would always engage the entire spectrum of an argument. So you you, you knew that he was fully engaging whatever the topic was and then bringing his own incredible depth of, of clarity and insight to the issue. And, and I just always found that a, a sure point of reference for whatever it is I needed to address. Mm-hmm. And that was, would you say it was somewhat unique for an already renowned theologian specifically to be named Pope? Because it's not always the case. I mean, I would say that pr- pretty much every cardinal probably has a PhD in something related to theology, but to have someone who's already an established, someone who's such a significant contributor to the Well, canon I, I, of I think it's important uh, to keep in mind that Joseph Ratzinger, throughout the 27-year pontificate of John Paul II, was yeah. really the theological architect, and he was, um, on the theological level, the closest collaborator of St. John Paul II. Mm-hmm. And it, now, in retrospect, we can see that when the, the cardinals at that point gathered in conclave, and elected Joseph Ratzinger to be Pope Benedict XVI, the clear desire was for continuity. Mm-hmm. Continuity with John Paul II and what he had put in place for the church. And the clear choice for that, obviously, was Joseph Ratzinger. And if mm-hmm. memory serves, he was elected in short order. They didn't need a lot of time to come to that determination. Um, so, so they were very, very much... Um, companions, if I could say, throughout that time of, of uh, John Paul II's papacy. And uh, Benedict was the one to lead the church forward in continuity with it. Mm-hmm. And especially considering how much theology and doctrine was emphasized throughout Ratzinger's life and his, his papacy in the secular media, but in the media in general, he was often stereotyped as being rigid, maybe as someone who, a pope who... Uh, allegedly overemphasized doctrine over maybe mercy or a past pastoral sense. Do you think that that, that kind of characterization is God's Rottweiler? I think oh, that yeah. was a term. It was, Do you car- think- it was a caricature. Yeah. For sure. And I was always saddened by that. 
Oh, um, okay. Because clearly they hadn't met the man. Uh-huh. And as soon as you meet the man, you realize just what a gentle, caring, loving soul he is. Um, you know, I, I'm not <laughs> I'm not the one to canonize people, but his, his sanctity certainly uh, shone through for me mm-hmm. in any in any encounters that I had with him. And not anybody who met the man would would say the same thing. Uh, he was always uh, respectful respectful of the individual. Uh, he understood well, obviously, what the church teaches about the, the dignity of the human being, and he always reflected that in uh, the respectful, caring manner in which he met with people and spoke with them, gave them his time, and so on. And on the point of being the doctrinal enforcer, it, it, well, that was his job. Right. He was the, <laughs> he was, <laughs> he was the prefect for the congregation of the doctrine of the faith, right? right. That it was his responsibility <laughs> to oversee things and make sure that all was happening in the church. We were remaining true to the doctrinal tradition of the church, remaining always in continuity with it. He was a, he had it was his role to be alert to any um, corruptions, uh, uh, any errors in, in theology. And and as I understand it, he would always address those clearly, forthrightly, but always kindly, mm-hmm. always respectfully of of the individual. Mm-hmm. And you know, um, when I was first named a bishop, I went over for what we call baby bishop school. There, right? <laughs> you go over and they give you all these conferences of what you <laughs> how to be a bishop. Uh, one of the talks that was given was by Cardinal Ratzinger. Oh. He was the prefect of the Doctrine of the Faith at the time. And um, the topic of disciplining a theologian came up. And, of course, that, again, was part of, of his responsibility. Meaning, like, if a theologian goes he'll, off base. Goes off base, or he's saying things that are not in continuity with the church, needs to be brought back into the fold, these sort of things. And, again, the caricature is, caricature is somebody walking around with a sledgehammer, right? But no, he just sort of outlined how he would approach things and how he would expect bishops to approach things. In other words, from the fundamental standpoint of respect, listen first, he would say. Listen first to what the individual is saying. Try to understand his argument. Try to understand his story. Try to understand the back. Look for the good in it. And then engage in that dialogue to, to, to come back in harmony with, with the tradition of the church. Uh, the absolute opposite of the caricature that was in the media. Mm, that is really interesting. I suppose, too, in the fact that he was directly after Pope John Paul II, who on a personality level was remarkably charismatic, yeah. and perhaps some of that caricature of Benedict was simply that he did have a different personality, a different demeanor, perhaps, well, than it's, JP too. It's, I, I would say in the papacy is when his, the, the, his full personality was able to be on display. Ah. I mean, he was very much in the shadows uh, behind John Paul II, as any uh, congregational prefect would be. They stand at the service of the papacy and of the pope who right. holds the office at the time. So they're not meant to be in the limelight. So he's very, very much in the background, mm-hmm. suffering under this caricature that arose out of the particular role that he'd been given. But then as he stepped out into the limelight, uh, people were able to see more clearly the, the beauty of the man, the gentleness of the man, the warmth of Pope Benedict XVI. Mm-hmm. I was 
doing a little research to confirm the veracity of this claim, but it looks like it does stand up that his last words were, Lord, I love you. I was, I was struck by that. I heard that just the other day too. I was struck by that. But at the same time, that really captures the man. Anything that I've read just oozes, oozes with his love for God. Mm-hmm. He is so attuned, has been so attuned to the movement of grace in his own life and therefore to the movement of grace in the life of every human being. Because remember what we've said before, what is most deeply personal is most universal. And he was able to articulate in a wonderful way um, the fact that he was aware of how God works in people's hearts, obviously because he'd been living through through it himself. Mm-hmm. He wanted nothing more than to tell folks about his love for God and to invite people into this relationship of love with God, the relationship for which God sent his son and for which his son gave his life. Mm. You know, he, um, in his very first, and this impacted me and it impacted the diocese here in Edmonton, in his very first homily, very first one as the Pope at his inaugural mass, said some many, many beautiful things, but among them was, you know, there's nothing more beautiful than to be surprised by the gospel. Nothing more beautiful than to know Jesus Christ and to tell others of our friendship with him. Nothing more beautiful than that. Mm-hmm. And that, of course, became the, the key to the, the, the catechetical series we did here in the Archdiocese. But that inaugural homily of the Pope was really the inspiration behind that. Mm-hmm. He was a man deeply in love with the Lord Jesus. He experienced him as his closest friend. He lived out of that relationship of love and wanted others to know about it. And of course, he's very much well-known for his resignation as mm-hmm. as the Pope, which mm-hmm. was the first Pope to resign in, I believe, 600 years. Yep. So it's not a common event. Uh, do you think that his resignation as the Pope and all of the various intrigues and theories about that, do you think that it should be a defining feature of Pope Benedict? Or do you think that that is, frankly, overstated or it, it unfairly overshadows the central themes of his papacy. Well, I think all the intrigues around it, people should just put those aside. I mean, it's nonsense. The The Pope acted in sovereign freedom. Mm-hmm. He, having examined very, very carefully and closely um, his conscience, he uh, was of completely lucid mind. In fact, few people have a <laughs> mind more lucid than that of <laughs> Joseph Ratzinger, I must say. <laughs> And he wrote and he spoke in flawless Latin, so it was clear that all of his faculties were at, were at work. And I, I find that his act of resignation was probably the best example of the humility that operated throughout his whole life. Mm-hmm. He was a man entirely at the service of Jesus Christ, entirely at the service of the church. He did not want power. He did not want position for its own sake. His decisions were always determined by what is for the good of the church. Mm -hmm. And so at that particular moment, it became very, very clear to him that because of his physical limitations, because of the fatigue that he was feeling, um, and he, more than anybody else, could see the demands of the job. This is extraordinarily crushing burden, obviously, on any one individual. And he said at that point, um, no, it's time for me to step back for the good of the church. Obviously, he wasn't wanting this, um, just that he can hang on and keep saying that he was Pope 
as it were. Mm-hmm. So it was the most dramatic manifestation of his love for the church, his surrender to the church, and of seeing the church and her mission is so much bigger than than just himself. Mm-hmm. And I'm gonna I've been laying down my life for the church all throughout my ministry, and here's yet one other instance in which I can lay down my life for her by this act of resignation. When you look back at his papacy and even his his life as Joseph Ratzinger before he was named Pope, is there a particular theme that you personally would say encapsulates Pope Benedict's uh, offerings to the world, his service to the world? I think it's what we've talked about already in this in this conversation, his deep, deep love for God mm. and his uh, urgent desire to communicate that mm. to the world. Well, he lived in an era of epical change, my heavens. Mm-hmm. The great societal movements, the great questions of the age that everybody was grappling with, the, uh, the divisions that he was seeing in, in, in the church and in the world. And he, and he knew that the answer to all of that is Jesus and a relationship of love and a friendship with the Lord. And he could articulate that from every conceivable angle in every possible context with a clarity, with a depth, but also with a simplicity that made the gospel accessible mm-hmm. to anybody who would, would listen to him. You know? um, I was always struck by his theological writings, but even more so by his, um, his homilies, his mm-hmm. catechetical sessions mm-hmm. when he was pope. Because there, there he was, he brought his whole academic history to it, but he was stepping outside of academia at that point to be with just the, the everyday believer mm-hmm. and connecting with them in, in wonderful ways that demonstrated his love for them, his love for the Lord, and, and, and uh, just how beautiful it is to have faith. And, and this is very, this is key for uh, him also, how reasonable it is to have faith. Mm-hmm. Part of the epoch in which he was living was one characterized, is one characterized by rationalism, right? And, and the need to, or the, this, this sense that only what is empirically verifiable is true. And so any element of faith that is not empirically verifiable is therefore a big question mark, not reasonable, not subject to um, scientific investigation and these sorts of things. But, but his, his, and in fact, this was part of his, his spiritual testimony that was just recently released. He was mm-hmm. saying that, uh, no, 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 the faith is reasonable. Reason and faith go together. They have the same author, God. Mm-hmm. Trust in the reasonableness of faith. Enter into the, mm-hmm. into the dynamics and, and therefore find life. I found it interesting too because for a Pope who's, as you said, uh, sometimes unfairly characterized as someone who was maybe rigidly emphasizing moral doctrine, for instance, as if that was his main focus as, as a Pope, which wasn't, which wasn't accurate. He wrote three books about the life of Christ. Which while happened. he was a pope, yeah, while he was a pope, <laughs> and they weren't. It wasn't. Get around my head around it that. wasn't just moral doctrine, though. He like ha- clearly he had this love for the person of Christ, like Christ oh, yeah. in that personal sense. Yeah, it wasn't yeah. just doctrine. Well, he taught on everything, and he, his 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 interests expand expanded to embrace everything. But particularly as prefect for the congregation of the doctrine of the faith, he responded to questions that were posed to him. 
And very often, it's not so much that that's all that he ever talked about, but it's all that others are ever talking about, right? Oh. And they bring it to him and he gives the answers. Um, it, it, it's much the same way. People will say that, you know, or often oh, you'll yeah. hear in the media, all the church ever talks about is sex. And I say, that's all you ever talk about, right? <laughs> and you're bringing the questions to us and we're giving you the answers. Uh. <laughs> so it's, I think it was the same with, with uh, Cardinal Ratzinger also. Yeah, but he could he could discuss anything and was willing to discuss anything. Mm-hmm. As we're closing here, what is an an aspect of Benedict's life that you would say we could reflect on as as Catholics as followers of Christ? An aspect of his life that could help us draw closer to Christ. Um, enter deeply into the mystery of the liturgy. This was the this was the center piece for him. He understood that it's in the liturgy, above all in the Eucharist, that we have the supreme encounter with Jesus Christ, and in union with Him, offer our lives to the Father, and everything flows from that. Um, right doctrine flows from right praise, and right practice flows from right doctrine. But it all starts with the act of worship, the liturgy. And this was central, central to him, to his life and to his writings. And so if I were to focus upon any one particular aspect, it would be that. Allow, ask the Holy Spirit to draw us ever more deeply into this wondrous mystery of the sacred liturgy of the church so that there we encounter Jesus Christ and from there we learn to think rightly and to act rightly. Yeah, how we worship God changes everything. Changes everything. Well, would you be willing to just kind of close this conversation in a prayer, and especially as we, sure. we honor the memory of Pope Benedict? Sure. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God, Heavenly Father, in union with Christ and in the power of the Spirit, we lift up to you our profound thanks for the gift of Pope Benedict the Sixteenth. We thank you for the wonderful light that you have brought to the church in his writings, in his episcopacy, in his papacy, as he sought in all things to reflect the true light, which is your son. Help us to learn from his legacy. Help us, above all, following his example, to grow in our love for your son, to grow in our friendship with him, so that in and through this friendship of love, we will find the life which Jesus himself is. We pray through the same Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Well, thank you, your grace, for your time. You're welcome. Thanks for the opportunity to have this conversation. Absolutely. And thank you, everyone, for listening uh, to this bonus episode of Upfront with the Archbishop. Be sure to join us next week for another episode, and God bless you all. Mm